0: Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bride corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, An advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the creature, which uh, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes." This is the word of
1: the Lord. For thousands of years, labyrinths have captured the imagination of many people. I don't know where it began, but if you go back to the story of Daedalus, who was skillful and uh, a craftsman and was commissioned by uh, King Minos of Crete to create this labyrinth that would then house the Minotaur. You, you go through the history of, certainly in the arts, you see this in literature, you see it elsewhere, the concept of a labyrinth or a maze, taking on sort of the metaphorical sense that that helps people name what their experience of life is like. Certainly for the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, a figure we're calling Koheleth. Uh, When you read through the book as a whole, you get this sense in which he's struggling with life because it feels like this wandering and meandering where he's not necessarily getting anywhere. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes since September. This will be the last sermon until January. Uh, we're in chapter seven today, and then we'll, we'll have a few weeks off where we'll look at Christmassy texts. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be having a joint service with Uptown Community Church, but then we'll, we'll go back to Ecclesiastes in January and finish the book. We've been looking at Ecclesiastes because right now, we're in a period of time where many of us feel like we don't know what's happening. We don't know where we're going. Uh, Things are meandering. And, and that's sort of what Koheleth shares his perspective. It's, it's like a maze or a a labyrinth where, so a labyrinth, sometimes people make a distinction. A labyrinth has this one path that winds around getting to a circle uh, or a center, I should say. And, and you could feel like you're lost and you're, you're backtracking, but, but if you stay in the path, you get there. A maze is, typically a little bit different. There's an enter, entrance and an exit, uh, but there are all these wrong paths and, and choices that you can make, and you could wind up in a dead end or getting stuck and never getting out. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks a lot about death, death as the exit of life, and he doesn't seem to want to talk much about what's beyond that. He doesn't know much about that, uh, but the path between birth and death is what his focus is, and to him, he, he experiences it like a maze, where there are these winding paths and sometimes it feels like you're making progress and then all of a sudden it feels like you're not. And then uh, you get ahead, but all of a sudden you hit a dead end and it's wearying to him. He uses that language. It's, it's wearying. Uh, what gain is there? What profit? All the waters flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. Are we actually doing anything? Are we going somewhere? And, and it's that kind of question that he's grappling with that actually is important for us gaining wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, and it makes an important contribution because it forces us to engage the world as the world is. And when we're paying attention and we're being honest, there are ups and downs. And so, for example, in verse 14, uh, he writes, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. I see he's not trying to explain why there's adversity and trouble. That's that's what we all want to know. What's the answer to why that's allowed? He's basically saying, look, this is the world God has made, and there's going to be joy and there's going to be adversity, and that's life. So 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 his concern is not to explain it. His concern is to show us how we can engage this world so that we live well in it. Faith is important. God is important. But he's not giving simplistic answers. And wisdom is needed. And, and, and that reality that there's adversity and there's prosperity, and there's a lot of other experiences in between that have shades and echoes of either of those. None of us does well in all of these circumstances. Every one of us has to face situations in life where. Uh, We're not prepared for them. Our natural giftings or abilities just don't work in those situations. So some of you actually don't do well in prosperity. That sounds odd, Uh, but there are some people, whatever the case is, uh, there's a sense in which they've gotten used to life being hard and disappointing and difficult. And so we have this phrase that when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, when things go well, right away you get anxious because things going well is a sign that something disastrous is about to happen. And so sometimes we can self-sabotage because we, we, we feel unworthy to be in that place. We're afraid that we'll mess it up. We don't want the responsibility. And so uh, intentionally or subconsciously, we make these choices to make sure that we're not prospering. So when something is, is good, rather than being thankful and joyful, when something's good, we become anxious and worried. And that's not wise. Why would we not have that joy? On the other hand, what's perhaps more common is people who so want that joy and happiness that they're so eager to pursue it that when things are going wrong, they can't handle it. They have to ignore it. They have to shut out the person who's struggling because it might ruin their joy. They can't face failure because how can they make sense of it? And so we need wisdom for those situations. And all of us uh, in differing degrees in different circumstances will have joy but we will also have adversity. And what we need for both is wisdom for every kind of situation. And so where I want to begin today is with the encouragement we get from the book of Ecclesiastes to seek wisdom. So that's where we're beginning. I want to encourage you to seek wisdom. Now, I'm beginning here, um, maybe it's too obvious a point to make because we're looking at the Bible. But if you've been with us since the beginning, or if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you may find yourself wondering, does Koheleth actually want us to gain wisdom? Is he not just a cynic? who's overwhelmed or angry, or he's just a dark brooding person that would say, don't bother seeking wisdom. And no, that's not the case. Uh, for Koheleth, for the book of Ecclesiastes, clearly foolishness is to be avoided, to be ignored. It's disastrous. The problem is, um, does wisdom make everything perfect? That's what he's grappling with. But, but he's, he's not saying, uh, why not be foolish? You know, that's one of the things he's talking about death. If, if, the, if the wise die and the fool dies, well, then what value is there in wisdom? He raises that question. The fool agrees, thinking that the answer to the question is, therefore, don't bother. Don't work hard. Don't learn. Don't pay attention. That's not what the book is teaching us. So you could see in verse two, he says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. See, he, see the fool doesn't want to engage in reality, can't handle the truth. He's not saying you're better off just pretending things are okay so you can be happy. He is proposing that we can have joy and not be so bogged down by the worries of life. But in this case, he's saying, but are you to be wise? Um, the living will lay to heart when they see the reality of death, the shortness of life, mourning and suffering. He's not commending it as good. He's not saying, this is great. Don't you see how God has put death into our world so we could learn? That's not what he's saying. He's saying we live in a world where, like it or not, all of us have to face our mortality. And you don't want to waste this quick, fleeting life running after what doesn't matter, like the fools do, because folly will always lead to destruction. There's a hastening of the ending of your life or to ruin. And that's what he's trying to save us from. Verse four, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, there are all these passages that creep up every now and then in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he commends joy. But here he's talking about this this house of, the people that party. Um, And again, he's not against a party. He's not against a celebration, but he's against the people that are, are using all of their efforts to try to be as happy as they can without engaging reality. So while they're celebrating, uh, their lives around them are crumbling, but they're just trying to forget it for a little bit longer. It's understandable why we fall into that, but the warning is that's foolishness. Um, If you're not honestly facing the hard realities of life, they're not going to go away on their own. And the irony is if you're seeking happiness, joy won't come from pretending that your problems aren't there. And so um, it's not that adversity comes into our lives so that we can learn as if that is God's stated purpose for every bit of suffering. What Koheleth is saying is sometimes we have no idea what the purpose is, but we can see that the opportunity in it is to learn. And that's what the wise do. Um, You know, some people think that religion is about an escape, and certainly many religions are. And the way many people practice Christianity is about that not wanting to engage reality, not wanting to face our mortality honestly. Um, but you don't need religion for that. You could have anything. So entertainment, you know, uh, good, good entertainment can stir virtue, could uh, encourage our souls, but it could also just numb us. It could be a way of passing the time. Work, uh, using work uh, to accomplish good things could be a great thing to do, but we could become workaholics because we're trying to avoid some pain and we're trying to make something of ourselves. Shopping and acquiring things, you know, cultivating a life of, of things that you enjoy and are meaningful is good, but sometimes we're constantly buying things because we, we can't face the monotony, the boredom, the disappointment. So, there are Christian versions of that, of people who are not engaging reality. But you don't need Christianity for that. There's lots of ways not to engage reality. The Bible is encouraging us, the book of Ecclesiastes is helping us to engage reality, even the hard parts, uh, because that's what Christianity equips and prepares you to live well in this world with a broader sense of what else is going on. Uh, there's this um, sort of a newspaper, a news site that many of you would have heard of called The Onion. It's a spoof. Um, and some years ago, they had this article that, that I, I just, uh, well, I thought it was funny. And it ties into this, that the headline of the article is pretending everything's OK works. And I'm just going to read you an excerpt. A study released Thursday by researchers at Harvard University's Department of Psychology has found that the simple act of pretending one's life is not a complete shambles, threatening to collapse at any moment, works. Even when everything's coming apart at the seams and disaster is almost certainly imminent, putting up a good front for friends and loved ones makes everything better, said Professor Christine Wanamaker, who explained that smiling a lot and evasive answers were usually enough to get by. Tell everyone that things are fine and they will be fine. Just don't overthink it. When asked about her studies methodology, Wanamaker said the research was rock solid, had been looked over by a bunch of scientists, and definitely wasn't anything to worry about. You know, so, okay, this is, this is meant to be a parody, but, um, how many of us functionally live that to say, if I could just pretend it's okay to be okay. The book of Ecclesiastes is not saying it will never be okay, but it's saying, but don't pretend it's okay when it's not. So in verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than, uh, 10 rulers of a city. Uh, wisdom is good. We, we, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking he's teaching us that wisdom doesn't matter. So verse five, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. That's what he's imparting to us. Correction, rebuke. We don't like it. It's not comfortable. But do you want to be wise? And what he's saying is, well, you definitely don't want to be a fool because fools, um, their life is fleeting and they make mistakes and they hasten devastation. And so he's offering wisdom as an alternative. So I just want to begin noting that that we should seek wisdom. Even though Koheleth is saying we can't control, we can't understand, and at the end of the day, wisdom won't prevent you from dying, the lesson is that we should still pursue wisdom. Only a fool would think, well, then nothing matters. So here's the second thing I want to say. Uh, You have to understand wisdom. So if the first thing is that you should pursue wisdom, the second thing is you have to understand wisdom. Uh, you know. So the fool would say, look, if, it, if, if, if this world is this uncontrollable, if we can't understand things, then why waste my time with wisdom? That's one mistake. But the other mistake would be to think that by learning, we could figure everything out so that we can control things. So that then we could build the kind of lives for ourselves where things don't go wrong. And for wisdom, We have to know that that's also a problem. So rejecting learning the way of the fool is a problem, but thinking that wisdom is a magical power that gives you the key to unlocking a perfect life is not understanding wisdom. And that's what Keheloth is going to help us to see. In verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So righteousness and wisdom are different concepts. Righteousness is about upright actions. Wisdom is about understanding, but they go together. We can speak about them uh, distinctly, but, but in terms of the life, the kind of life we're called to, uh, wise thinking and understanding and acting properly, go, you can't be wise and unrighteous. Uh, foolishness is immoral in the biblical wisdom tradition. So why is he saying that we should not be overly righteous? And that we should not make ourselves too wise. Isn't this contrary to everything else that the Bible teaches? Um, and his concern is, is really that we understand wisdom. Um, the question is, can you actually be overly righteous? And that's where he goes on to say uh, in, in uh, I don't have the verse here in front of me. Um, but where he says, there is no one who is righteous. Everyone sins. Throughout the book, he talks about there's no one who understands everything. And so so he has great wisdom and yet he doesn't have it all figured out. What he's learned is you can't control life. The concern is not being wholehearted or being fervent. His concern is that we'll make the mistake of thinking that if we learn enough, then then we can avoid all of the challenges of life. Um, And that's when he's saying, don't be overly righteous don't make yourself too wise. He says in verse 15, in my vain life, I've seen everything. And that's what he's sharing from his varied experiences he's had. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So does wisdom lead to a better life? Absolutely. But does wisdom guarantee you a perfect life? You wouldn't be wise if you thought it did. And so in verse seven, he says, surely oppression drives the wise into madness. The person who has enough understanding that feels like now I get it. When you see something like oppression, it drives you crazy because oppression doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to be that way. Why would anyone do this? And and yet part of the the pain of learning, the fool tries to avoid that pain, but the wise are willing to endure it. But, But part of the pain is seeing that despite all your growth and learning, you still don't have control. And so in verse 13, he says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And so when you think of the teaching of Jesus, Jesus encountering the Pharisees, what was wrong with the Pharisees? Well, in a sense, they were, they were a bit too wise and they were overly righteous, in what sense you know the experience be- before the time of Jesus was was an experience of exile where the prophets had warned God's people and they didn't listen and the pharisees who if you grew up in the christian church when you hear pharisee you think oh they're the bad guys they're the, they're they're the evil people the pharisees were the people that actually took their faith so seriously that they were going to work it out in every detail it's actually quite commendable but it became problematic so for example the prophets warned them you're not keeping the sabbath you're you're becoming like the other nations so So after they came back from the exile, they said, we better learn our lesson. And we're not simply going to keep the Sabbath, but we're going to make sure that we do everything to never break it. So they worked out all of the details. So Jesus assembles with the gathering of God's people on the Sabbath. And there's somebody who has a disease from birth. And Jesus reveals the greatness of God's power by healing them. What's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But but they've become a little bit too righteous that they've tried to control everything so that they would never break the Sabbath. And they gave no room in the day of God's visitation for God to do something very glorious and bring rest to somebody in the Sabbath. That's the problem with being too righteous, overly wise because no human being will ever really be too righteous. We will never be too wise. That's what Kohelet is reminding us of is yes, we can learn. Yes, we can grow and we should. But we have to do so with humility. Consider the work of God. We we can't figure it out. And if you're righteous in your own sight, if you think you've figured it out, you're not wise. You're uncomfortable with a lack of control. And that's different. That will not lead you to wisdom. That will lead you to desperation. And so the fool suffers because they take no responsibility for their lives. But the overly righteous suffer because their life is a constant confrontation with what they can't control. And so the Pharisees rejected Jesus because he didn't fit their box. And so that's what we're being warned about. Don't be so upright and perfect in your own mind and with your own actions uh, that you actually fail to become wise. And so there's wisdom in being able to to be in this other space where there's, there's more than one option in this world with its ups and downs, with its prosperity and its adversity. One option is just ignore it all. Don't pay attention. Do your best. Well, that's the way of the fool. That won't work. The other option we think is learn as much as you can, do your absolute best, or you'll be a fool. And Kohelet is saying, actually, there's something foolish to doing that. That's probably a better way than simply ignoring reality, but it's not true wisdom. And so as you reflect on your your own experience, in this uncomfortable period we're in, some people are doing fine. Most of us are having trouble because this is a period where where we can't control things. Uh, This Wednesday, teachers found out, New York City public school teachers, late in the afternoon, today's the last day, tomorrow you're remote. And I found myself wondering how, how many teachers woke up the next morning all of a sudden thinking, why did I not send the entire class home with all of the materials so that we could work on that. Now I have no choice. Well, if the Board of Ed would have given them 24 hours notice, maybe they could have figured that out. <laughs> um, and, and, and yet the teachers will, will wake up maybe feeling frustrated, maybe resenting the Board of Ed, but also feeling like they're bad teachers. <laughs> I've been teaching 20 years and, and Zoom is, is everything I've done in the classroom. So, so why do I feel like I'm terrible at this? <laughs> um, that's, par- that's, that's an aspect of what, what each of us in distinct ways are experiencing in this season. And the fool just says it doesn't matter. But the person that thinks that wisdom is, I need to figure it all out so that I won't make these mistakes, what we're warned about is, well, that's, that's not wisdom. That's control. And so are you able to exist in a period where things are difficult without needing to numb and distract yourself, Still learning, but without constantly becoming frustrated, without losing your patience with everyone around you. Because if that's what's happening, maybe you've stepped beyond the biblical definition of righteous to overly righteous, and it's not wise. So you have to understand what wisdom is. So seek wisdom, but understand what it looks like to be wise. And so here's the last thing I want to talk about, finding wisdom. So we are to seek after it, we're to avoid a lot of the mistakes, but, but the hope is that we will find wisdom. And the lesson we get from Koheleth, this figure, is that he's gone before us and he's had all these experiences, that's how he's presented to us, is, is he's had the kinds of experiences most of us think if I can get there, my life will be satisfying and good. And so do you want power? Well, he's had great power and authority. Do you want wealth? He's had a lot of wealth. Do you want pleasure? He's had pleasure of all sorts. He's had parties, he's had all, the, all these things. He's had the respect of people. And, and his, his report is, it's like chasing wind. Just when you think you have it, you grasp it and it's not tangible. So what he's saying is he's gone before us and, and, and what he offers to us is not the definitive answer he offers to us a series of warnings to say, wait a second, you think going down that road will give you everything that you desire, but but I've gone ahead of you and I'm warning you it won't. And so, so in your path to find wisdom, Ecclesiastes is helpful because it's saying, do you think that a good life is there? No, that would be grasping after wind. Do you think it's there? Don't stop there. The interesting thing is Koheleth has gone ahead of us, but he himself doesn't come back with the definitive answer we want. And people that want understanding – and want control, therefore have trouble, that he comes back and says, look, I've seen that this world has joy, and when it comes, receive it and celebrate it. But there's times of adversity as well, and you need to face those times. And we want to say, well, how do we avoid those times? Well, become wise, and you'll avoid many of them, or you'll navigate them well. But if you're looking for the answer, Koheleth would say, I can't give it to you. And so verse 23, all this I have tested By wisdom, I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. And see, where he says, don't be overly wise, he's not saying don't seek it it fervently. I mean, nowhere in the Bible are we told to be lukewarm. Um, Jesus warns us in the book of Revelation not to be lukewarm. Deuteronomy tells us that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. Uh, The Christian life is meant to be fervent, wholehearted, it's not that he's talking about this middle way between being lazy or being an overachiever. He's talking about a third way that's different. And he's saying, I myself sought to be wise. And the reason I'm saying don't be overly wise is because the more you learn, the more you realize how complex things are. And what he says in verse 23, but, but it was far from me. And, and here, Ecclesiastes in dialogue with the biblical wisdom tradition. I mean, you could see allusions to Job. Job, a book about a guy who is upright, wise, and righteous, and yet disaster comes, and Job doesn't understand why. And, and Kohelet says, I've seen in my vain life everything. He's, he's seen that. And so he says, yes, even the upright will face adversity. But he's also in dialogue with the book of Proverbs. And, and Ecclesiastes 7 now starts to sound a little bit like the book of Proverbs. There's these wise sayings that we're getting and in the book of Proverbs, another biblical book, there's a co- these collections of sayings. But there's this long introduction, the first nine chapters. And those first nine chapters are an invitation, not simply to read a proverb, but to really meditate on it and live it and, and, and live a wise life. And, and how, is, how does that invitation come? Well, there's a father urging his son to seek after wisdom more than silver or gold. He says it's a tree of life for those who will find it. And that's actually theologically significant, right, to say that wisdom is a tree of life. Uh, Go to to the beginning and the end of the Bible. And and okay, that that's significant. But how how does this young man find wisdom? Well, the picture in the book of Proverbs is wisdom is personified as a woman. Sophia uh, which means in Greek wisdom. Uh, This this wise woman comes and she says, seek after me. And she stands in front of a house with an invitation. Come in and dine with me. And this is where you'll be satisfied. Seek after me more than, than wealth and prosperity and power. And, th- and that's part of what, what the book of, of Proverbs is doing. But it, what's interesting in those first nine chapters, there's also a warning. There's another woman that keeps showing up. And she she seems to be like this wise woman. But there's a couple of signs that would indicate something's not right, but you can't quite put your finger on it. She's attractive, but in a way that's maybe a bit seductive. And she's outside her house and, and and maybe she's a little bit brash, but maybe there's something appealing about that. And the book of Proverbs says, what people don't know is that the dead are inside of her house. And that's life. We're, we're walking down the street and there are these people calling out and the book of Proverbs is saying, look for the wise woman and go into her home. But along the way, there are going to be these other invitations and you need to become discerning because if you, if you just go in because it's appealing, because if it's attractive, you'll you'll forfeit life. Koheleth is writing as if he says, I'm wandering the streets, and I've I've seen house after house. I've looked in the windows, and I'm reporting to you, don't go into house number 10. And I went around the block, and don't go into 52 street, you know, on that street. And so he says, in his testing things by wisdom, um, verses 26 to 28, he says, I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God will escape her, but the simple, uh, the sinner is taken in by her. I mean, that's right from the book of Proverbs. There's this seductive person that the fool, that the sinner buys into, and they they forfeit life. So he goes on in verse 27, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. We get a bit of his methodology. See, he's not saying I'm coming from the other side to, to report back to you everything you need to know. He's saying is, I, I, I started at the beginning of the maze like you did, and I'm ahead of you, and I'm collecting my thoughts, and I'm building things up, and, and I'm learning about life, and I'm sharing with you. So I'm, I'm adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. I'm trying to find the path of wisdom. Uh, in verse 28, he says, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Look, is, is he thinking about the book of Proverbs? I don't know. Would it be hard to imagine that somebody writing more than 2,500 years ago was a misogynist? Not at all. But when he says he has not found one woman, um, if he's searching for wisdom, I think what he's saying is I've, I've gone by and I've seen all the frauds and I'm learning that as I look at human beings, human beings seek after many schemes and the bulk of them are going in to these seductive invitations. And maybe one out of a thousand I find doesn't fall for it. So there's this narrower group of the wise who keep going, but they're still on the path. (laughs) They're trying to help us not to get distracted, but he says, "But, but of all these things, a woman I have not found. And if he's searching for wisdom, I think what he's talking about is, I haven't yet gone into the house where my soul is satisfied with that banquet that's promised. One of the most famous bands of my generation, 80s and 90s, was, was the band U2. I don't know that younger people are listening to them these days, but, but good music, but also thoughtful, interesting. Uh, you know, they sort of came together. They were They were these Christian teenagers that were part of a this christian group i think it was called shalom <laughs> um and and their story is quite interesting but but you'll look in their songs and there's always a theological strand and there's one song called uh, one of their most famous ones i still haven't found what i'm looking for that then helps people debate oh but but maybe they gave up that youthful faith because they still haven't found what they're looking for and you, you listen to the lyrics of that song and and it's it reads a little bit like the experience of koheleth of somebody who who experiences temptation and difficulty and he's on this wandering path but but it 's a searching path, but what he 's reporting back is he still hasn't found what he 's looking for and they made you the, YouTube made this film in the uh, back uh, perhaps when they were in their height i don 't actually know when they were in their height, but it 's called rattle and hum and it 's mostly a musical film of their songs, but there's this one interesting scene on that on that song I still haven 't found what i 'm looking for uh, and it's filmed at a church just over one hundred and twenty fourth street i'm, I'm pointing to 124th street, we're normally in the James chapel at 121st street. (laughs) Uh, So they're in this church on 124th street, these guys from Ireland. uh, And in the interview before the song where they're singing it with with the choir of that church, um, not in a performance, in a rehearsal, uh, but but in the interview, they say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for Is a gospel song, not not as a musical genre. It became a gospel song in, in that setting because of the sound but he's talking about the message and what is the message? Well, the message is I'm looking for something that I believe I can find in God, but, but, but I, I don't have it yet. And, and so uh, read through the lyrics if you, if you Google, Google it, but, but the climactic um, verse, I mean, how explicitly Christian are these lyrics? You, you broke the bonds and loosened chains, carry the cross of my shame. What, What does that say about his experience? You know, I believe it. You know, and, he, and he sings that with fervor. You know, I believe it. And so we think, what a great ending to the song. You know, I believe it. But then he repeats the chorus. <laughs> but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, why did he go back to the chorus? You, you know, I believe it. So, so can't we end there? And, and yet his life is like this maze that, that we know he believes it. We know that his shame has been born. We we know that Jesus carries the cross. And and yet there's this dissatisfaction that continues as he goes back into the world and says, but but there's still something that I don't have that's promised and that I want. And, And we think, is this a story commending doubt? Is this a song commending doubt? The Bible never encourages doubt as a good in itself. It always encourages faith but wisdom understands that faith is never understanding everything and being able to control everything because then you would be God. And there's one God and you are not God. Faith is not figuring everything out and controlling everything and having God's power uh, for your use. Doubt is not our goal. Faith is our goal. But if your faith means you find yourself not knowing what to do, not confident in what you believe that doesn't mean you're the unrighteous or the fool. If your hope is in Christ, it means that you are the wise and the righteous, but you will always have to depend on Jesus. And so the story of Christianity is not that God will tell you everything you need to know so that you can live a perfect life, but that you will never live a perfect life. And that's that verse uh, that I couldn't find. Uh, But here where where, where he says, there is no one who is righteous. There's not one uh, from from this entry in. But the Bible does proclaim one who is righteous, Jesus, one who is wise. And he goes into the house of mourning. He doesn't stand out and invite us to the celebration, but he he comes into our suffering. And what does he do? He doesn't say suffering is great. I, I left heaven because I'm a cynic and I'm brooding and this is where I want to be. He comes to say, you don't have to stay here and and I can lead you out. And so Christianity is the story of the son of God who is sent into the world. And he comes to find us in this maze where we've hit a dead end. where We're tired of the constant going around. And he says, drop everything and follow me. And the one who goes into the house of mourning is the one who invites us into the house of feasting, the house of celebration. And that's what Christianity offers, you know. With mazes, when I was young, I used to enjoy mazes and you do them on paper and and you find yourself going around. And and, uh, as as a study abroad student, when I was in college, I was in England and I went to Hampton Court Palace uh, and there was this 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 live uh, or this huge maze of these bushes, and I, you know there are these corn mazes they do them in the, in the midwest it 's a whole different experience when you 're actually in the maze itself because then every decision you have no criteria now they have these things like, "Oh well, just keep making the left turn and eventually you 'll get there i didn 't know anything about strategy, but when you 're in the maze it 's really hard to figure out every decision seems like it 's a random guess, but when you 're doing a puzzle a maze when you're, when you 're looking down. Uh, you have the advantage that you can look ahead, but, but a well-organized maze or a big maze, you could sort of trace and imagine it, but eventually it's long enough that you sort of lose what, what your choices were. And so being above it is better than being in it, but being above it doesn't always tell you how to avoid the dead ends. The fool is walking through the maze in real time, making every decision as a random decision. What philosophy offers, what religion offers, what our instinct is, is to think, if I could get above it, if I could learn enough, I could look down, and then I could chart the course and make my way out to the other side. And what we're told is you're constantly going to keep bumping into these dead ends, and even if you're on the right path, you're going to wind yourself confused. Christianity doesn't say, just make one random decision at a time, nor does it say you will ever get to the point where you see everything. The thing I learned as a young elementary school kid is, if you find the maze too frustrating, go to the end, and then trace your way back (laughs) that way. And then you can follow yourself forward. Christianity uniquely promises that God has sent Jesus into the world, not from the perspective of Adam to construct a life where we have one person who's better than the rest of us, but the one who comes from the heavenly realms that says, follow me and I've prepared a place for you. And so if you're looking for wisdom and not hearing her call, follow me today, listen to me, trust me, learn of my ways, join yourself with me. And then your life won't be like a maze. It'll be a bit more like a labyrinth. That's the difference. See, most of us experience life like it's a maze. I constantly have to make choices and I'm afraid if this is the wrong choice, I'm going to hit a dead end. And I'm never going to know if I made the right choice because I have to backtrack. Christianity says, if you have joined yourself with Jesus, it's more like a labyrinth where there's one path and you're not going to know which way you're going. And it may seem like you're going the wrong direction, but you're not. If you hear the voice and the call of Christ, if you stay faithful, if you're listening to him. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, the path to destruction is wide. Anybody can enter it, but the gate is narrow and the path of life is a narrow path. And if you hear my teaching and do it, if you trust me, well, then you can come out of this. And so what does Koheleth offer us in the way of prosperity and the way of adversity? He says, the one who fears God will come out from both of them. That's his lesson for us is is, it's not by righteousness, not your own righteousness. It's not by your own wisdom. It's by humbly revering God that you will enjoy prosperity properly and you'll engage adversity wisely. The invitation to follow Jesus is where he gives you grace. He will teach you. You will learn. But if what you want is control of your own life, um, you're looking for the wrong thing. Jesus says, when when you realize that you have no control over your life, if you understand my goodness and my wisdom, and you don't get discouraged and give up, you don't need to know what's around every other bend. But pray, trust me, act by faith. And yeah, there are days of adversity, and you won't know what to do. But if I'm with you, uh, you don't have to worry about what the end of your life will be. And so think about that in this season. Some of you are trying to make choices. Do I leave New York? Uh, Do I change jobs? Um, Do I start therapy for the first time? You know, all of these questions that are coming up and we feel like we're in this maze. I don't know what decisions to make. We're told, look, you you may not have the answers. Uh, That doesn't mean you shouldn't seek them. But if you understand the one who has sought after you, then even if you don't have all the answers, you can make faithful decisions and you can trust that whatever the outcome in the short term, in the long term, you'll be okay. And that is what Jesus alone offers us. And so let's not miss that. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we come to you as people needing wisdom, and we are not righteous. We don't understand things. And some of us have been sufficiently foolish that we're making a mess of things because we can't handle what we're overwhelmed by. Some of us are killing ourselves trying to get it all perfect. Is there really another way, Lord? Jesus says there is, Lord as you have invited us, as you have sent Jesus to grant us grace, to forgive us, to make it possible that we would be going somewhere, whether or not we see it. Lord, help us to have more faith in you than we have in ourselves. Help us to have more faith in you than we do in the wisdom of this world. And help none of us to wander away and get stuck. But uh, Lord, may the good shepherd come after us and bring every one of us um, to a place of rest. Lord, we, we want it. We still haven't found it but we're grateful for whatever measure of grace you've given to us. We pray for an increase in wisdom and in our prospering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue in a spirit of prayer...